Welcome to this special edition panel podcast episode, how to thrive and rebuild your restaurant in the new now. Moderated by me, Michael Tingser. We are a group of like-minded people who decided to put this special episode together due to our love for the industry and the hope that our thinking ideas could help especially independent and smaller restaurant groups to bounce back, not only to survive, but thrive in the current COVID-19 storm and build a new future. It was the Danish Trade Council UK who took the lead in bringing us together. We are Order Technology Takeout Group, Post System, Quick Order, Consultancy Food on the Move, and Hospitality Mavericks. In this episode, Mark McGlenn, Mass Vidakop, and myself will be talking about the current storm in industry, how to survive and thrive in it, how technology and takeout and delivery can be part of the solution, and there is some top advice in the end of the episode which can be implemented straight away. So grab coffee, sit back, sharpen your pencil, and get your notebook. Enjoy. Welcome to this special edition panel podcast with uh, Mark McGlynn, Mass Vedderkop, and me, Michael Tingstam. The world and uh, our beloved uh, hospitality and restaurant industry have changed a lot in short time. Uh, We have a pandemic going on we have uh, closure hibernations of business we have explosions in uh, delivery we have uh, employees that's gone furlough here in the uk and uh, we thought that we needed to bring uh, something to the world that was a bit different because there's a lot of great information out there in the moment for for operators but we thought there was a bit need for more guidance on some specific advice for what we would say the independent and smaller restaurant groups on how to survive and thrive the current storm and prepare them for the, the new normal or the new world that nobody knows actually how it looks yet. And and we will try in a, in this context uh, we're in now, the COVID-19, to give you uh, a bit of toolbox and potentially strategies of tangible solutions for you as an operator to implement to make the world you know, a better place for yourself on the other side. Today, uh, as I already mentioned, we are three people on the podcast. It's uh, Mark McGlynn. Uh, and Mark, uh, could you just give your uh, 30 seconds uh, elevator pitch to, to people out there so they know who you are and, and the context of why you're here on the podcast and why we're having this conversation? Yeah, sure. I've worked in the uh, food sector for more than 20 years and across a variety of roles from food purchasing to food operations to systems design development. My last corporate role was with Pret-a-Manger as their head of food operation and equipment innovation. Uh, On leaving Pret, I worked as a food service consultant and went on to set up the food systems network. Um, The food systems network is a an open innovation platform that works to improve the sustainability of our food production, distribution, and service industries. So we work through collaborative partnerships and support new systems of food production and food service that hopefully will evolve to nourish and support the health of our growing global population. We support the development in particular of sustainable food systems, and that's at the heart of uh, the work we do, as I hope you'll see in this uh, broadcast. Uh, From the Food Systems Network, we launched a major project on food on the move today. It was conceived to help the future of food delivery and to promote food security and food sustainability in last mile delivery. And we hosted a major conference on food delivery 
uh, at the Barbican Centre in March of last year. Great, great, Mark. Thank you for that. And Mass Villacop. Uh, Thank you. So my name is Mass, as you already told. Um, I'm the CEO of Quick Order. We are an end-to-end solution for restaurants and cafes consisting of point-of-sale, table booking, and staff planning. So everything is interconnected and ultimately creates an operating system for, for the restaurateur to run his business by. We The reason I'm here today is because we serve clients all across the Nordics, in the UK, and even in Spain. So we, of course, know the pains and struggles that restaurateurs are facing in these very odd times. And we really want to contribute with the learnings from our different clients and with the insights our data from our different clients shows can help in this situation. Yeah, and uh, for myself, uh, I'm from uh, Hospitality Mavericks and also an operator uh, myself with a little catering company in London called The Bear Kitchen. And uh, and my passion is to develop and grow, you know, especially hospitality and restaurant leaders. And lots of our clients we work with and their teams are either dependent or smaller operators or groups uh, across uh, Europe. So I would love to to see how I can actually help them to unleash some of their potential uh, in this podcast and actually find ways out of this situation, which is very dire for, for many of them right now uh, all the the clients i've been talking with uh, the last 3 weeks uh, it's a serious business out there as we will come back to in a second but to give you a bit of context even though i am sure you as a listener out there uh, are quite aware we're all quite informed about what's going on but we thought it was important to start out and giving a bit of context right now so the current situation so mark as uh, you know, very experienced, as you said yourself, uh, done the whole journey in, in the restaurant sector, you know, COVID-19, in, in, from your point of the table and where you are now, uh, what what is happening out there? And and, and it went so fast. Yes. Uh, uh, although it went so, so fast, it, if you look back, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't not predicted. The, the emergence of this pandemic has been predicted for, for a number of years. We could talk about that in another context, but uh, in the immediate context, um, obviously a very large percentage of food businesses in the UK have shuttered shop. Uh, the larger food retail chains and quick service restaurants have uh, obviously all closed, and they've either furloughed their workers or not. Uh, landlords are being asked to show patience and understanding at the moment. That's kind of in their interest to do so. There are many worries, of course, about how, if you're a small independent restaurant, you manage food operations in this context. And I think these questions, or these, these concerns have not really been addressed. So uh, there's a lot of uh, instability and, and a lot of operators are just holding their position at the moment before they make any decision. Um, so for instance, uh, how do you manage the requirement for social distancing? Uh, if you're a small independent operation, how do you maintain a productive kitchen where the overall space allocated is no more than four square meters or even less? Um, questions like this uh, need to be asked. Um, we know that there are many production environments uh, that have not been fitted, for instance, with the best air venting systems. Uh, and, and where they do exist, Sometimes other problems present, like circulation of air, etc. 
uh, yesterday, um, an article appeared in The Guardian detailing the uh, untimely death of a grocery store worker who works in a shop just at the end of my street. Uh, the shop is very popular in this area, has goods stacked high in narrow aisles. It's not really possible to operate social distancing in these types of shops, yet they have been encouraged to stay open. So we have to look at the situation and try to understand not only the radicalness of the change, but the need for the change. And I think that's still where we are. We're still coming to an understanding of what it is that's going to be required of food service operations to operate safely in the context of the pandemic. Yeah, that was, that was very interesting, Mark. And uh, uh, I, what about UMass when you talk with your clients across Europe? Is, is that a similar thing you're hearing from them? The, you know, the, 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 the challenges of operation and also, you know, the distress of if they actually can survive? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of worried residents out there and there's a lot of uncertainty and lack of guidance. I think that's why we really here today. Um, also, on all of the help packages that the different countries have been creating for the restaurants, uh, that also creates a lot of questions. If Is it even viable to stay open? Mm. Um, or yeah. am I better off staying closed? Can I guarantee the safety of my clients if I am open? And I, more importantly, can I guarantee the safety of my employees if I decide to open my kitchen? As Mark says, a lot of these kitchens are very, very small. And having distance in there is really hard. Can my system helping me being it open to take away orders actually manage that we maybe aren't at full capacity? Maybe we can only produce half of what we usually can in per, per hour. Um, and, and can I manage that? Or will we get overrun by orders? Because the local communities has, at least based on what we've seen in both UK, Denmark and Norway, is really, really supportive to the local restaurants. So a lot of them has even gotten more revenue now uh, than they did before, but they can't handle it because they don't have the space to handle it. So that's another whole other problem. Yeah, and uh, that's a really interesting angle as well. Um, I had a conversation, um, I think it was Friday, with a, a, a company we work with. And for, for this purpose, we call it a Carl's Fishing. Uh, fish and chip shop and they're like a high-end fish and chip shop and they're like a typical coastal uh, operation and they they've been depending you know uh, a lot on, on seasons and they you know they they market they have they have, have loans for for opening and expanding over the last couple of years gone really well and of course the the government's uh rebates and initiatives will and furlough scheme can can help them in this situation um and they started to do delivery uh, with with some success, but also you know got into it by you know force now and uh, learned also the brutality of third party platforms and sometimes that's not the most viable way and gone a bit on their own journey now to set up their own delivery. But that's let's talk about that. But the interesting thing is here, he what they are nervous about is what we talk about twelve eighteen months down because. They can actually get a loan in the bank, and that this is the context of a small operator. But they, you know, the, the scariness is: can I actually ever pay that loan back? And what consequences is this going to have for for my my family? Because these are often, you know, family-run businesses, and, and the family is very invested in them. So again, that's what I see again, I, and I know it's a different game for 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 the big ones. Um, but uh, and and they also have their challenges, as Mark said, you know, with the uh, let's see what the 
if there's a rent-free period, that would probably be good for the wider industry um, because I talked with a guy in the US and I don't know what your guys view on this is, but um, and I talked with a couple of guys around Europe and Australia as well. And, and most markets predict between 40 and 50% of restaurant units going to be gone within 12 to 18 months. They're not going to insist. They will be empty and then either will taking over our time. And that's like some quite brutal predictions which I didn't believe when I heard them uh, the first time. But more and more as this unveiled, I can see that we're going very fast depending on the length of the lockdown towards a situation like that. Um, so yeah, so it's uh, it, there's definitely need for Need for some 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 uh, you know some hope and some some tweaking of things uh, as it is right now. Is there any other things like where you think when you've seen you know now you know short term something that we need to cover here and to set the context uh, uh, for this mark? Is there anything we're missing out here? I do think um, there is a lot of hope, and uh, although of course I, I don't discount the forty to fifty percent projected closures, I do think that something will emerge. In that context, if those uh, if those uh, businesses close, and I think there is there is actually is a lot of hope at the moment. There's a lot of excellent guidance available from organizations like the uh, Chartered Institute of Environmental Health and the Food Standards Agency in terms of how to operate, um, how to how to change your operation from dine-in to delivery. And these documents should be looked at. They're quite comprehensive. Uh, they're staged documents, and, and they can be very, very useful. But interestingly, um, I think there's some broader questions. And I, I want to just, if we can, quickly look at, uh, uh, Michael, what you, the question you opened up around, around the 40% closing and, and maybe that being a, a very bad thing. And I, I agree it, it would, it's going to be painful if, if that happens. But we have to remind ourselves that, you know, it's kind of widely acknowledged that the food service sector before COVID-19 was undergoing a lot of change, uh, particularly um, with the increasing dominance of food delivery and the, uh, the growing presence of large food retail chains on the high street. Um, the pandemic has brought this to an abrupt halt and turned the model of innovation that was underway on its head. So what's really interesting is that we're beginning to look at the way we access food quite differently. Uh, and we cannot help but look at it differently because we are faced with some fairly fundamental questions, even if we don't voice them out loud, like, you know, how secure is the food supply chain? How safe is food delivery? What is the relation between what we eat and the functioning of our immune systems, for instance? How can we eat better? Because we have to remind ourselves that so much cooking is going on in people's homes. And where food delivery has really taken off, come into its own almost, is in getting these disrupted supply chains back up and running and get, getting food goods, sometimes and oftentimes fresh food delivered to people's homes. So there is a lot of positive that can come out of this terrible disruption that we have to, we have to understand why it why it's happening why the pandemic has emerged what are what is wrong with our food systems and how we can change them for the better and that's an interesting question um i don't know if you have anything to add there mass uh, i'll just add a positive note um with a very short term uh, data insight so we've been tracking the revenue in the market very closely um during the last yeah actually since covid started so 
last month or two now. Um, and when the lockdown started, we saw a 70% drop in total revenue in the market. But during the last two weeks, I've got some good news. Revenue is up again. So the drop is only 40% now. Yeah, and that's a positive story. Yeah, so we are going the right direction now. Yeah, but but what is interesting, what you said, Mark, is understanding where did this issue come from? And I think the consumers, you know, I, I don't know if you noticed over Christmas, there was a lot of conversation about climate change and the planet and how you're eating and so on going on uh, in the news. That was like, it became a theme over Christmas um, holidays. And, uh, and and this is just, I think Mother Earth are giving a bit of a, a forewarning, as you say, at how we eat and how we consume, because the problem comes from factory farming in China. And uh, I guess that will put some innovation into menus as well, because the consumer is going to start asking a lot of questions about, you know, can we actually trust this product? You say, can we trust the provider to be on top of food safety? Is this good suppliers? Do they really take care of the ingredients and the soil they put it in and the employees they're employing and so on and so on and so on? So I think there's going to be, you know, from that point of view, it's quite a positive society thing that's going to happen out of this. And you're going to see smaller local uh, suppliers or restaurants will probably have a rise out of that. There's a bit of hope there, potentially. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, if you're just dwelling briefly on where the coronavirus uh, pandemic emerged, has a lot to tell us about what the future holds for us and how the food industry really ought to respond. In, in my view, when we emerge and how we emerge from lockdown and all that this entails, must really take account of the facts, because if it does, I think our food systems will radically change. Whether our response is in terms of how we deploy and design our food service operations in the future is successful in securing and protecting human health will really depend on whether we adopt the radical changes required to reshape our larger food systems. And just as you said, Michael, it has a lot to do with intensive farming, it has a lot to do with the destruction of um, natural habitats, the encroachment of so-called wild animals into domesticated space, and it really does have to do with the fundamental way the food system has been managed over the past 60 to 70 years. We do need to look at this uh, because it's very, very tight. Pandemic did emerge in a food context. Yeah, and... Um... To tail end this uh, part of the conversation, I think there's no doubt about you know that nobody could you know we we knew there was a pandemic coming, but we didn't know they had that severe impact on us. And as you mentioned, Mark, it was already very tight margins in the industry, and that's what we're seeing as well that the shakeup is happening. I think I think there's I think there must have been news today of somebody else going into administration. I think I've seen somebody every day now uh, going into administration. I think we'll see that, and I think the landscape the next twelve to eighteen months will as we talk about become you know quite brutal but it will new opportunities will for the savvy operator will emerge from this because people are still going to be as my mom always said there's always a job for the rest to turn the undertaker because people are going to die yes, that's they're gonna a very eat. good way of putting it yes um and she was a very seasoned restaurateur and been through a lot of uh what you call them recessions um so again 
there will not be a quick switch on you know the economy or social distance it will not be an easy thing to operate with but there is hope and and things in the future if we lead a bit on to the next phase where we're talking a bit you mentioned already a bit mark about uh, I would like to start where you talk about safety operational challenges in in the current environment you know should i keep open should i close should i do delivery not delivery what is your what is, is your observation on what's going on you saw you saw a lot of the big guys uh, in one day decided mcdonald's pret and so on your old employer saying we're closing down but we see them now slowly coming back so they must have been working on some plans in the background to to reboot their business Yes, I mean it is true that the larger food retail companies have the knowledge base and the resource to radically rethink their operational model and in fact I have to say that they are actively doing this. They do understand and they will acknowledge I think that this pandemic uh, is here for some time and it will take uh, enormous effort to uh, lift ourselves out of it. But in order to do so they are going to look very carefully at the sustainability questions that we have already posed. It is true that they're opening, but we have to bear in mind that the the nature of the opening is rather small at this point in time. And actually, if you look at what they're doing, they're more like um, they're more like service models. They're more like public service models. So Pret, for instance, is doing some wonderful work around uh, its locations, which are close to hospitals. They're making sure that hospital staff and people visiting hospitals have access to, to, to fresh, fresh food. I think that model is, is quite interesting. So yes, on the one hand, uh, the big retail operations are beginning to, uh, to design or redesign their operations so that they can operate safely in the context of of COVID-19, but they're also doing something which I think is even more interesting. They're developing their businesses almost as public service models, which is a brilliant thing for these companies to do at this point in time, because that effort is going to um, is going to help them in the future. It is also, I think, something that the, the food service sector needs to acknowledge. What are uh, what are you seeing, uh, Mass, from your side over your over the Euro, over Europe? I would rather say with your with your with your different teams in the Spain, UK, and Scandinavia. What what is you're seeing with the operators are doing right now? And so what we've seen is that, um, especially the operators that are catering to the local community, uh, really strives, and we've actually seen a lot of them taking the complexity out of it by not doing delivery. I'm not saying that's the only right thing to do, but if you have a local Thai community and you can actually cater to them, then you don't need delivery. They are more than happy to come and pick up their food. So you can really create an easy, safe environment for that, especially if people order online because you don't even need a front desk uh, worker. You could just have people in the kitchen, the right amount of people, which is safe, and then you can have a drop-off in the front of the store with names on the backs and people come in and get the food. They already paid, so there's no transaction, there's no card reader they need to touch, there's no cash, not anything. Everything is done online. They just come and pick up their food, so it's done very, very safely. That's a very good point because I've actually seen, um, I live in Brighton, and uh, around in the area I live in, I've seen, uh, it's been quite fascinating to see uh, 
a butcher to probably before this would never have thought a ditalizing thing. But he's he introduced click and collect, and he's never been busier. He told me it's never been better. Business had never been better for him. The same with the vet shop. Uh, they tried to digitalize first over email, and then I said, "Do some click and collect." You know that will be give more sense because people are willing to go up and get it because people need to get out at some point. Anyway, so I think the, the community bit and for smaller operators, I think, and we saw um, a pub group here in uh, in the UK uh, also introduced this, uh, and I think more pub groups have done that now out of the countryside. They actually done click and collect with grocery, and I think Leon had done the big one opening 13 or 14 sh- shops doing uh, grocery. And, and again, it's, 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 it's not just selling product. It becomes a bit like a community thing, as you say. It's going to be a touch point that's alive while all this come, goes along. So, yeah, um, very, very good point, uh, Matt. What, what I have seen, again, is uh, I've seen it's been very good as well that the savvy operator has done, you know, suddenly that's gone away from, you know, we need to make a profit, but also we need to help. We need to stand up. And you mentioned Pret, Mark, uh, Leon, we were also touched on here, is doing an, uh, uh, some great work. And uh, you see there's also organizations that's trying to work with smaller restaurants and we're working across myself with the bear kitchen across east london trying to feed the uh, the nss some some proper food as we say because also it's important that comes proper food into the hospital and all respect for pizzas and burgers but they're probably not going to fuel our frontline employees with the right stuff so so again we have we have tried to do that as well and that for some and also including ourselves in the bear kitchen actually has become a lifeline within other initiatives we're doing because maybe it's just on a cost zero model but it keeps the will going and it means we don't have to hibernate because my biggest scare as an operator right now is not to keep my doors open because i know what happens where every business that falls asleep innovation can't happen and the big ones can afford to have you know a head office staff and be part of that and set that up and run that and have something ready for opening but for the smaller operator this is an opportunity to experiment and try things out you haven't tried before as a skeleton business or just with click and collect you, this is the opportunity in my world to try something new and you know you you yeah and you can only win because you will learn something and that's the that's the important bit using this a uh, this situation as a big lab for your business as well yeah i don't know what your guys view is on that yeah michael i i think that was very well said actually i do think if you look at for instance uh, how Pret and uh, the larger food retail responders responded to the uh, COVID pandemic. It's quite interesting because they they did remain open for as long as they thought it safe to remain open, uh, and then they closed down. And they did close down on the on the basis of a pretty comprehensive view, and some of the best advice from some of the best food safety experts in the country. So uh, that was really interesting. The fact that they're beginning to think or opening shows that this pause, this standstill, if you will, is, is, a, is a really necessary phase to go through. And I would even argue that small independent establishments, for instance, those who are thinking of pivoting from dine-in to delivery, should go through this uh, quiet phase where in which you know two or three weeks they do absolutely nothing. They look at their... Um, their um, operational costs, they look at their staffing levels, they look at their food safety systems, and they do take a, you know, a weighted decision on whether or not they should actually open. I think it's very important for them to go through that process, and it has a lot to teach us. 
I actually think a lot of uh, a lot of the restaurateurs have done that, at least what we experience in the market. Because what we've seen is that, exactly as you say, Mark, they've taken the time to actually dive deep into the business. We have to remember before COVID, the market was absolutely crazy. We've never seen such a busy market before. People were going out and spending money like there was no tomorrow. So getting that time off and using it to actually have a deep dive in your business and optimize it is a gift. And we've seen restaurateurs doing that. And that's one of the reasons why we as a company have been keep keeping growing during these times. We were feeling the worst, but we've actually seen that restaurateurs may be running an old IC setup. They all of a sudden have time to actually do something about it. Same thing on food safety, same thing on should we do delivery, not do delivery? Should we rearrange a whole furnishing of the restaurant? There's a lot of good initiatives being taken in this time. And now is really the time to innovate and to to grab that opportunity to actually create something that you maybe have dreamt of before or that you actually can dream up now and take action on because you don't have your everyday life. Absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right, uh, Mads. The, the quiet period of reflection could actually lead to a huge explosion of innovation in the food service sector, one that probably was you know, bubbling under the surface for years. So it, it is definitely an opportunity and we should uh, we definitely uh, underline that point. Yeah, and the independent and groups, uh, the, the progressive one I've talked with, actually see, you know, that they, they're doing this as exactly this. They are assessing their 15 or 14 systems from people to food safety, and they're just working through the list from, you know, where the biggest interaction gaps was, and they're just trying to get that in a better shape, and they're actually using digital tools. There's an, an, an operator I work with uh, for years has been saying implement online scheduling it will save you so much time and money and he called me the other day and said michael you're absolutely right i can see now what you said like you know but i just spent the three days getting this done and now i have it i'm ready for my 300 employees now when they come back so great you know that's probably one of the already you already won on this you know uh i know there's other challenges but again it's getting you need to have some small or big wins uh because you're going to have a lot of challenges. So the more ready you get, it's a bit like, you know, going to the Olympics. You, the better you're trained and more mentally ready you are for what's coming on the other side, the better your chance you have to survive, you know, between the, let's call it the 50% right now. It's, it's really the sum of all the things you do in these times that are going to yeah. create the assault in the end. So what you're describing now, Michael, is exactly what we as a business are experiencing right now. People are actually taking the time to, as an example, set up their online scheduling. And it's such a no-brainer for consultants like you and businesses like us, but normally they don't take the time. So now it's a great chance. And also, you said they've been so busy and there's been so much strain on them because, you know, many of these smaller operators, we have to acknowledge this is, a, you know, is, is, is their job as well. So they fight with everything they have like blood coming out of their ears and and again you know it's easy to sit when you have the you know a background and understanding and done it yourself to say why don't you stop up and reflect but that often there isn't that time you know because that we run out of milk you know so i need to go and sort that out so that's so again I, again I, I really believe what you guys are saying as well this is that we will see some stronger 
businesses that takes this opportunity come out on the other side uh, and more ready for for the fight than ever. And I think that the corporates will also get a shock about how how fast they're moving. They are they are small speedboats, even though the corporates are well on top of their things. With my own background for McDonald's, I know that they're probably going to come with some crazy initiatives. I couldn't imagine anything else. Um, so this lead us perfectly into the future. So, so what we are seeing, what's going on right now, operational is that there's a lot of people that works on the their interaction gaps and implementing new ways of operating. And there's actually people within this, like this is the hope, that's actually thriving. And you said, Mass, as well, you know, earlier that you can actually see sales are actually improving in general. And there's new models you mentioned, Mark, coming up or new ways of operating in the food service sector you never thought about before. And we're just getting smarter, faster, uh, quicker than we ever thought, you know, because we only, how, how many weeks are we in now? Six weeks, seven weeks into this? Uh, and there's a lot happen, you know, um, uh, you know, positive things as well where people have moved. So that leads us a bit to, um, it's always difficult to predict in the future and you always have to be careful. But from your experience, especially uh, Mark, you you, you had a, an, a crazy long experience working with one of the most, you know, remarkable brands within food, in, if not just in, in the UK, but in the world as a global player. They're known to be uh, very diligent pret about the things and really think about things before they do them. How do you see the uh, successful operator as we go into the future? What is it that? That's a fascinating question. Um, and we have to remember who the successful operators are because uh, they themselves have often in their, if you look at their past, emerged out of difficult times. That was certainly true with Pret and has been true of many very, very large food retail companies. So I think to understand that question, you, you should ask another question almost, which is behind it. Yeah. I think we, we'll all acknowledge that um, our relation to food through this pandemic has been undeniably fundamentally challenged. And I think how we eat, what we eat will change and hopefully for the better. So food businesses, these large food retail businesses like Pret will need to respond. And I think many of them actually do want to respond and we'll hopefully see some great innovation around sustainability. They actually want a fairer distribution of the costs of food and they want fair margins on what they provide and they do not want to compete uh, unfairly with the in independent section. I think this is a message that they that they they ought to be saying and I think they want to say it. I and I think most importantly we're going to see hopefully because I think the independents have been struggling for years and un unfairly at a disadvantage I think. I think we're going to see some recognition of the good work that they do. Um, we will look at what we eat much more closely, and companies like Pret, etc., will actually design and develop systems that allow us to do that. I think we, we do want to be fairer with each other, particularly around food. And I think when we do survive, and we will survive this pandemic, both commercially and I think existentially, we'll want to work collectively to change the dominant food business models of the past. And I do think the big food retail companies will be a part of this change. They have to be, um, and and they need to get out in front of it. Very interesting uh, perspective there, Mark, because I guess also that the consumer will demand it, as you say, in the way we change eat, but also the expectation we have of 
a corporate's role in society and their contribution, even though Pret has always, in my world, set a very high standard for that and done a lot of great things. I have massive respect for, for, for the history of that business, how value-led it's been you know, all the way to now and how, how long people have stayed with the business as well is, is a good sign of it. What, what, what is your view, uh, Mass, on, on, on this? I'll try to give my view on the more independent side of things. Uh, I think we, what you're saying about the corpse and social responsibility and CSR really coming into play is absolutely right. So there's no need to, to say more about that. I think everything is set there. But for the independent, I think we'll see a change in the consumer behavior and the way they expect to die. So, of course, as we already discussed, uh, takeout and delivery will be a much bigger thing in the future. It was always or already growing, but it will grow even faster now. But when we then go out and we want that in-dine experience, I think that people and the consumers will want an, a much more intimate experience. Before COVID, post, pre-COVID, it was... No rare occasion that when you went out with your missus and, and had a meal, you could literally hear everything that the couple sitting next to you were talking about. I don't think that we'll experience that anymore. I think that consumers will demand that they can get that intimate, safe experience where they have this distance that we all are getting so used to now and where we feel more at home but we are out dining and still getting that very explicit and, and intimate experience from the waiter and the good food and everything, but, but in a much more intimate and private setting. So the capacity for the independent and also for the corps for that sake will most likely be much lower than it was before. So they'll have to find other ways to capitalize on each guest or at least be better at capitalizing at each guest. That's a, yeah, because, and I guess there's operators that has, um, so especially here in the UK, um, uh, very small units as well. Uh, there's a lot of thinking about uh, if I'm normally operating at 40 seats, how would my numbers and my, you know, turn look here, you know, as I, I stack a back into a world because we know it's going to be a stack at approach. We, the world is not going to start at, at 60 or 80%. We're probably going to start at 10, 20% when it comes to restaurant and then slowly move up over 12, 18 months to probably end at something at 75% is my of previous revenue. If even lower, maybe, I don't know. I don't have the, I'm not, um, I don't, I don't have the crystal ball here, but I can definitely see that's going to be, it's going to be a lot of trust that has to be love. Is it safe to go there? Do they know what they're doing? Have they actually, as you said, Mark, implemented all these advice from the FSA and so on? Because they made some brilliant documents, which we have used in the Bear Kitchen as well ourselves. So I know these are brilliant, you know, that that made our staff feel safe when we implemented these things. Um, and the staff, how are they going to feel safe? How are they going to get staff back into uh Have many of the staff, especially in the UK point of view, that's one of the questions I ask myself. I know some of the, the clients we work with in hospitality Mavericks, uh, they, they they travel home to Spain, Poland. Are they going to come back? Um, what is going to happen? Even though they're furloughed, well, what is actually going to happen with with all that? You know, can I actually get my 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 staff back in action? Even though there's always a solution for that, but that will definitely give a some startup challenges uh, when we go back in. Well, I think staff in general has is a topic for itself, I and mean, we could do a whole podcast about that. But, yeah. But, oh yeah. But yeah. it's 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 strange, right? Before COVID, we were 
all talking about how there was a lack of of free labor in, in the market and and the workforce was was just not there and then with with a one day or within two days all of a sudden 70% of the market loses their jobs so so are you even able to set the same team when you open again did you lay off your employee employees and have they already found other jobs when when you are about to open again i really think it all of what we're talking about today taps back into what mark was saying earlier and i was saying earlier that now is the time to prepare and you need to think about all of these things right now so that you're really really prepared i think also these restaurants these small independents uh, might also want to think about their customer base because it's, it's very possible that their customer base has changed during a period of closure. Um, people had time to cook, and they do cook. Um, so the relation, the fundamental relation between the small independents and their clients uh, may be richer, and there may be some experience for these independents to call upon to, to reabsorb these customers into their into their embrace, if you will. And that, that needs to be uh, thought about and reflected on. Another interesting thing I've seen, which um, before I was a bit like, I thought that, you know, there was a very slow adaption of technology in the industry as a whole, you know, the very, you know, in, or sometimes in the dark ages, I think McKinsey did something in 2017 or what, 16, where they actually, you know, they put hospitality in the rock bottom with a couple of other industries, uh, and it's interesting to see the the level of productivity that has been around digitization of your business, not only delivery and click and connect, but what I can see right now is that, okay, well, we definitely need to have tech now to help us do the heavy lifting because either it has to save us money or make money. And it seems like it just with like a switch that happened. And I think that, you know, you will see, you know, better, you know, the, the savvy, the savvy operator, the, the savvy leader will use technology to, to facilitate a lot of this change, a lot of these, you know, efficiencies they need to, to get now to get their margins. And also to get to know their, their consumers and guests much better. Because w- when you don't have tech, when you've been a, a dinosaur, let's say like it is. When, when you've been living in the dinosaur age for the last 10, 20 years, you have no way of actually reading into a consumer engagement. Some, something as simple as this guy who's liking a, who is liking our Instagram post, is that a guy who's been in the, in the restaurant before? And if it is, do we know what he likes when he visits us? Getting that whole full circle knowledge about your clientele is really, really important as we go in to this post-COVID situation, because as Mark just said, you probably don't know your clients anymore. And there is a lot of potential in that, because clients' demands probably changed, or, or their behavior. Yeah, Matt, you're, you're absolutely right. The, uh, a lot of the innovation in the last year or so uh, in the food service sector was beginning to focus around personalization. So what would a food system look like from the consumer's point of view? What is it they want to know? What do they want to know about their food, etc.? What do they want to know about the establishment that's providing the food? And I think these technologies that tie customers directly into the restaurant, give them a, a God's eye view on their food, are going to come into their own. And I think they're going to come quick and fast uh, because consumers are now thinking about trust more than anything else. 
They're thinking about food safety. It's no longer about convenience. It's about food safety. Food safety is front and center. And food retail companies and food restaurants and independents that understand this are going to win consumers for the long term. And it's almost, you know, some of them are moving fast now. They already had that belief that there was something wrong with the way we did things. And they were already preparing for this. And they are, they are very agile hospitality organizations already. And, and some of them we probably not even heard about yet. There's doing some amazing things out there because they just get along with it. You know, they are they're small groups. They are innovating. One of my clients, uh, which I was, uh, I was not surprised when I was, when I was talking with the MD, said to me, so what's happened the last week, Michael, is that we've been looking at a number of sites in London and now it's a barking price. So I just picked up three sites. So we're going to expand with three sites from as soon as this lockdown disappears because they have been good at you know running their business. They already done all the things we talked about. So they are even a step further. They can actually expand as part of this. And it's a bit like the stock market Warren Buffett strategy. You know, sit and wait to the to the bull market is over and then buy, in a way. And I think that's very interesting. All the things you're saying there, I can totally see that specific organization are definitely working on that uh, on that strategy right now they're going to expand and they're going to move fast in denmark we also have a group um called dining six uh, the dining six group uh, which are a group of very successful restaurateurs independents who got together um and created a group of, of restaurants it's like these casual fine dine restaurants and they already did all of these things before covid and it's very obvious in their communication that they are so calm they don't panic because they already did all of these things. So they can think in the terms that you just described. But how are we going to expand after this? Who are closing next door where we can then set, set up new shop? Yeah, and they're very clear about what their role is. I think you mentioned about this, Mark, and what the role of their food is. They have already very strong food philosophies. They have like very, there's some ethics around things. They already maybe operating with very local produce and uh, Trying to do the best, maybe not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but they're definitely doing that. And uh, and they, they have some like very loyal people that just says, "Okay, is this what we need to do? Let's do that." Do I need to be a social media manager for three months? I'll do that. I'm just throwing everything I have in my hand. I will learn on the go. So, if we think about you know um, the consumers as well, I guess we also have seen uh, they have been very ready for engaging with delivery and digital much more ready than I thought they were, in a way. Because I think also I read an article that supermarkets are now seeing that, you know, craziness has dropped off and they're already seeing massive drops in their in their sales curve. And that's an example of other people are getting involved in their supply chain. And we also have a whole supply chain in the industry that suddenly got hit by this. And they've been very proactive. Some of the suppliers I've been working with myself had, you know, starting selling directly to uh, consumers. I don't know if you guys have seen that. And they found out this is quite good business. It's a bit more hard work, but it's actually quite good business. Absolutely. This is, this is a fascinating uh, area of innovation at the moment. And I'm seeing it uh, here in South London, in the Crystal Palace area. The number of Local to local delivery companies that have popped up is just extraordinary. Uh, and we get our, our vegetables delivered from a local uh, organic garden, not, not more than a stone's throw from our house. So these things are going to replace uh, a lot of the disrupted aspects of the supply chain um, yeah, that, that we've been witnessing. And, and it's really interesting to see this come into its own. I think it could be greater. 
Uh, last thing I want to touch on, and uh, before we move into the last section of uh, some advice on what people need to do, is um, I've seen uh, some really interesting things around uh, leadership and mindset. Um, and that's a bit like this: uh, is uh, are you in control of this? And Mesh, you talked about this restaurant group in Denmark. Are you in control of the situation because you're prepared for being ready to some kind of situation, not COVID nine? These leaders are very proactive. They have very, you know, invigorated cultures. They are, and these are also the, the future of hospitality. You will see leaders that have very strong, I would call it, they are very strong at business skill, but they're also very strong at human skills. And they have this team behind them because that's the only way they see through this. And they, they have this unique culture and positioning around this culture. And I'm quite sure you would see many of the companies there, there will be a list of operators that people want to join. and the other ones they don't want to join. And I think Honestberg has probably been more corporate now, but they've been brilliant of taking care of their people. The same with the Shum, I've noticed. There's a, a smaller group of seven seven units. Um, but again, I see the operator that really been good at this you know, leadership culture. They have really also strived in this and be, have been ready. That's like they've been training for having their, their staff mentally ready for this. You know, They just adapted much quicker than... Others where, you know, engagement and, and culture now, maybe it's a bit more, you know, it's just for profit, what we do. You could even see that the restaurateurs who had that strong culture in mind and really understood the importance of creating a very strong culture across all of the locations they are running had success even pre-COVID. So just look at you on the juice. Their whole success comes from culture and culture alone. And it goes all the way out to the customer as well. Yeah, it does. Customers, it does. Yeah, they, they they join that, you know, because they want a bit of that excitement. Yeah, you know, exactly. They, they, they want a root. They want root service. That's uh, why they go there. They think that's the, the, the cool thing about it. You know, there's a bit like, it's very different. And they have taken a different standpoint from the beginning. We are different. They dare to be different, as I normally call it. Um, so... A lot of innovation is what we're saying is going on. And these are the future operators really grasp that. They set, uh, you know, uh, a different standard. They will be better at creating experiences than before they take care of the customers and their staff. They are digitalizing their businesses and they will also, you know, be very good to understand their their customers, which, again, in the end of the day, pay the, the party. So, Mark, if you should here in the end of the last bit of the podcast, should give your one to three things you think operators should really start preparing for right now for the future. What would that be? What is your advice and where, where should they go for it, if not? <laughs> yeah, well, the first thing I would say to, to um, food service operators is that they should, they should really reflect on their customer base. The customer base will have changed uh, during the course of this pandemic and they need to find out who they are and they need to to create tools or communication paths so that they so they they do come to know them again. I mean that's absolutely vital. As I also said, I think food safety is now front and center. Um, any organization that doesn't have real rigorous food safety operational practices uh, needs to think about what it's doing because consumers are going to want to know this, uh, and they're going to want uh, validation to this effect. Um, food is no longer merely about convenience. Of course, convenience is important. Taste is even more important. But food safety or the safety of the operation itself is going to be key. And the last thing I would say, and it's not surprising, actually, is that 
the way we manage our operations will be fundamentally different. Don't be tempted to think that your food operations is going to look anything like it did in the past. Question, question, question. We'll see things like meal customization, which we never thought would come into being. We're going to see things like meal delivery in volume, delivery meals combined with goods and ready-to-store ready goods. We're going to see uh, payment systems that actually tell us a, an awful lot about what we buy and why we buy it. Um, so the, the relation between the producer and the consumer is going to become much tighter. Remember, restaurants were our primary way of creating communities up until COVID-19. They are going to be so in the future, but there may be a digital path that we should explore. Um, and trust, trust is absolutely essential. It's, it's fundamental to the nature of any human relation. Yeah, very good. Very good, Mark. And uh, UMass, what would your top advice be? So to actually go from where Mark left off, um, use this time where you might not be as busy as you were before to really, really think carefully about your whole supply chain, starting with your IT. Do you, how many different suppliers do you use today? Probably three to four to five different suppliers. As simple as much as you can with a single supplier. It will streamline your, your operations when you open. It will make it much easier when you need help. There's always only one point of contact. That's the first thing. The next thing is also a bit of what Mark touched upon with your consumer. You need to think carefully about who are your consumer after this and try and create a persona of that consumer and try not to be afraid of the word data. I saw a tendency before COVID where a lot of researchers disliked the word data. It was a turn off. But data is really, really key in order to understand how you're going to thrive in the new world after COVID and how your consumers expect you to behave in the new world after COVID. So please think carefully about how you can use data and how you can obtain data about your guests. And then lastly, I think it's really important to touch upon the employees of the restaurant. The ones you already have left, you really need to take care of now. If you were talking to them four times a day, before COVID or 20 times a day for that sake, you need to speak to them at least, and I know this can sound crazy, but at least three times as much. All studies show that during remote and crisis situations, we need to check in as leaders three times more than we usually do. You need to over-communicate to your employees to give them a feel or sense of safety. So even though that you are as much in the dark as they are, you need to just communicate what you know and what you don't know. So please communicate with your employees and then harness that culture because you, when, when we get out on the other side of this and the wheels start running again, please be aware that you will need staff again. You might not be as well staffed as, as pre-COVID. And only the workplaces where the existing employees employees are happy to be will be able to recruit top talent. 
Yeah, it's uh, I I totally agree on, on on that, Mass. That's a very important thing because you know, and I think that's the phase we're in now, where you know there there may be been understanding from the staff that you need to sort things out, but there's really now a need for communicating uh, with, with staff. So so my my three advice would be uh, it's not much different from prior to to COVID because I've always been fascinated about what the best of the best are doing in every aspect of life. How do you become successful or something? And how the one of the things I've seen through my career in restaurants and was that, you know, too many restaurateurs things, uh, you think you said it very well, uh, data is an example, but this gut feel, they don't think and act like a CEO of a business. And the CEO don't have to be that you don't care because there's a lot of CEOs that cares a lot. So there's this mindset shift that needs to happen that you need to look your business as that you need to understand your job as the CEO is to set the direction. It is understanding the market position, understanding what your customer needs now, because if you understand and serve that, you can take care of your people. Uh, and that's very, very important. And as Mark pointed out, there's a new market and everything changes. So sit and look at your positioning, your role as a food operator in your local market, but also if you're on a national level, try to understand how you find your new positioning in the market because the middle will not work anymore, I think. Then, um, so clear direction, because then you can also tell your people what the plan is when you know that. Then you can make a very clear plan. So a clear direction. Then it comes a bit by the right people on the bus now as well, understanding, you know, the challenge you're in and where your your gaps are compared to the positioning on the direction you're setting. Get these right people in the position now and start thinking about what, what are you actually missing maybe even in your organization? Maybe you actually lost some people. But what are you missing? And how do you recruit for that when the doors open again? And what type of people? Do you actually need some different people, some different skills in your organization you didn't have before? Do you actually need to go out and hire for those skills to actually boost your journey? Or can you reskill within your existing business? Um, and and then, you know, uh, as I normally say, then focusing on, again, create, you know, I think you said it, Matt, but create a culture that people want to join and customers want to buy from. Because in the end, people buy from people. And that, in a nutshell, is what I think, you know, uh, I think restaurateurs have to do more than ever. Because one of the big problems with tight margins is also you're in the business instead of on the business. So you can use this period to actually take a different approach to how you lead and run your restaurant operation, small or big. And I know it's not black and white, and there will be some some things about when you have one restaurant, you probably need to be in there, you know, as well. But the mindset around thinking like that, I think, will help you a lot. And get a mentor, you know, that'll be my mentor. Maybe it doesn't have to be somebody you pay for. It could be somebody that's already done it, you know, or run a business from a different sector that maybe can help you through this. Um, my mentor is not from the sector. He is from... Uh, Unilever world, Mars and so on, consumer products and marketing. He thinks very differently than I do. And that's very helpful sometimes. Any other last thing you want to add here, guys, uh, in this uh, this podcast to uh, to the dear individual operator out there, sending a bit of hope maybe, Mark, to them as well? It's summarized in the saying, where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, I do really think uh, based on just the conversation we've had today, that there is ample evidence that uh, the small independents, small medium enterprises in the food service sector have a great opportunity to invent 
and sometimes reinvent business models that will function well after or during the time of the pandemic. Uh, remember, uh, there are operators out there now who are functioning quite well. Uh, so take a look at those models, try to understand how they're working, and, and maybe adjust your own models accordingly. Yeah. Mass? Just uh, like a, a final chant, um, we have customers in quick order that have seen a 200% rise in revenue during COVID, and that's because they innovated. So take this as a gigantic opportunity. When you are a small independent researcher, you are also very agile at the same time. You don't have a big organization that you have to move in a new direction. So use it, experiment, and you might hit the gold pot. Yeah, and mine would be uh, a bit like, uh, the, you know, there's nothing better than a little crisis because it's levers, it levels everyone. So for once, you have a chance against Goliath. There's no excuse anymore. We're all in the same shit. So it's all about the effort you put in now. And actually, I think there's a lot of hope for the independent operator because I think that's the where people are going to turn to after this. So I think there's such an opportunity here if you get ready now and start to train the muscles for, for this Olympic that's coming on the other side. It's not going to be an easy ride, but there's lots of opportunities out there, so as we heard today. Thank you very much both to Mark and Mass to 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 get on here today and have this conversation. I think it's been really super interesting. Um, I will look forward to to connect with you guys again, and uh, and we sending. I think I say behalf of all the three of us, uh, all the power and energy uh, for our lovely, lovely sector needs to to rise from from the ashes or rebound into the new now. Mass and Mark, thanks so much for your great thinking, advice on how to survive and thrive in the current storm as an independent and smaller restaurant group operator. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, rate, and let us know what you think. Thanks to the Danish Trade Council UK for bringing us all together and for take our group Quick Order, Food on the Move, and Hospitality Mavericks for contributing. Thanks for listening and keep innovating. Innovating.